welcome to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hydric is the premier global provider of senior level executive search and leadership consulting services. Diversity and inclusion, leading through tumultuous times, and building thriving teams and organizations are among the core issues we talk with leaders about every day, including in our podcasts. Thank you for joining the conversation. Hi, I'm Frederic Roussel, partner in Hadric and Struggles Paris office. I'm a member of the global technology and services sector and I co-lead our data AI practice in Europe. In today's podcast, I'm excited to speak to Sébastien Rosanes, Group Chief Data Officer of Carrefour. Following a 15-year tenure in strategy consulting, McKinsey, BCG, mostly in North America and later in France, Sébastien, you've transitioned to Carrefour recently in April 2022. Carrefour being one of the largest retailers, I think you have more than 300,000 employees across more than 30 countries. Here, you lead and implement the group's data analytics strategy. In this capacity, You oversee the analytics factory, a unit comprised of proficient data specialists, and are also responsible for the adoption of AI and data practices, tools, and solutions in the businesses across the whole Carrefour group. Sébastien, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you very much for inviting me to the show, Frédéric. When you joined, how was your data and AI organized within Carrefour? What's your current scope, your reporting lines, and overall, who within Carrefour leads the AI strategy? Well, uh, a bit more than two years ago, uh, we created what we call the analytics factories in our eight core countries. And the idea at the time was to gain scale, to transition out of our previous model where data and analytics was incubated in a way into what we call the Carrefour Data Lab. And we wanted to move to a true factory model, in a way, for data analytics. So beyond the semantics of uh, you know, uh, lab versus uh, factory, we made it clear that we wanted to shift out of the laboratory mode. It was great to innovate and develop proof of concept for years, but we really wanted to scale up data and AI in the business. Thus, at this time, we moved towards this factory model. We started in France, where our headquarters are located but we rapidly replicated the model across our core countries. We increased the amount of investment, started on, on an intensive internalization of the resources. Again, the idea was that if we are serious about building a factory, we needed more skilled workers in the factory to truly operate and scale up the setup. So the delivery model was data analytics in the federal model. And that's when actually I joined Carrefour. Today we have a small team of a dozen of high-profile professionals at group level to steer the strategy, work on innovations, set the ways of working everywhere around data, spearhead the data transformation in the business. But clearly, the 400 data technology and data analytics professionals are located in each of our country's operations, really close to the business. So in my role at Carrefour, today, what I do, I steer this team, I define the overall data and AI strategy, and I report into the, the digital at team at Carrefour. And so when you, when you arrived, I'm, I'm sure already there was quite a lot of AI being used. And by AI, I just meant here, maybe more classic AI. So before generative AI, can you share any of these key use cases that were already existing? Oh, absolutely. We've deployed AI use cases at scale for a few years. 
Today, we are clearly seeing that we are gathering the fruits of the investment we made in the past years. Actually, AI now has visible impact across the entire value chain of Carrefour. For example, let me give you a few examples to be like very concrete. Very early stage, in the definition of our assortment, we are optimizing our assortments and customizing this assortment by store, thanks to machine learning. And talking numbers, it helped us really reduce by 11% the, since January the, the assortment while maintaining the sales, the margin, and of course, the client satisfaction. Later in the process, for example, in inbound logistics, we are significantly reducing our uh, out-of-stocks and increasing product availability again with machine learning techniques and operational research techniques to uh, enable much better forecast uh, throughout the, the, the logistics chain. Also, of course, in our uh, production units in store, in a way, uh, AI has uh, direct visible impact. For example, as you might know, we produce you know, bakery in stores. And since 2022, we are using an algorithm based on gradient boosting with 120 input variables to predict a much more accurate quantity of pastries to produce. With that, for example, last year, we saved 265 tons of products that would have been thrown away without the algo. The good news is that that's good for the for Carrefour's pocket, of course, but it's even better for the planet. We avoided an, a lot of waste. And finally, another, another example, you know, even further down the chain uh, in sales, uh, we are using supervised learning techniques to, to predict the performance of promotions. Even more, as we launch new campaigns, our sales and marketing team are able to predict whether the promotion will be making money, will be a high-performing promotion or not. And with that, we've reduced by 90% in one year the number of promotions that were either totally inefficient or making Carrefour lose thousands, or in some instances, hundreds of thousands of euros per year. So these are kind of a few examples for the value chain. But what you should take away in my view is that today in retail, AI is simply everywhere from beginning to end across the value chain. Beyond these use cases, you know, in the business, two years ago, we also decided that data for business was great, but we needed to go one step further. We created a business out of our data that we call Carrefour Links. And with this business, we sell directly our data to our suppliers, which are the consumer goods companies like, uh, for example, uh, Mondelez or, or Procter & Gamble. And they pay us to have this very granular data about uh, the purchasing behaviors of the, or, of the customers or our supply chain data. And most importantly, in my view, we share this data with them and we bring them to the next level to collaborate with them. So we are jointly developing what we call AI products on top of the data to enable much better collaboration, joint design of the promotions, making sure that we have a, a well-adapted supply chain to minimize the inventory throughout the chain from the producer down to the distribution in the stores. This is where I think data analytics is going to the next level and it's really a game changer in the way we work with our suppliers. Fascinating. So, so you've had already so many AI use cases, but to make it even more interesting, generative AI comes into the picture this year like a storm. And so how did you manage even more and, and prioritize even more AI requests, AI use cases? Yes, it's a very good point. Frankly, generative AI has been discussed in labs, in expert conferences, in research paper in a way for years. 
But for a long time, it had never reached the business world. For all of us, the storm hit us like last year in November 2022 when OpenAI released its public version of ChatGPT. This was a massive breakthrough, frankly, uh, and we had to adapt fast. And in full transparency, I had not put a single euro on generative AI in my 2023 budget. And this really caught everyone by surprise. So as always in the retail business, we reacted fast, we took action. And if you have a choice between deep thinking and strategy on the one end or action, you always go for action first, you push for innovation to market, you gather customer insights, you gather reactions, and only maybe later you think about the deeper strategy and it's always in that order. So if I summarize like in a couple of minutes what we did to get started in this totally unknown space nine months ago, we essentially did three things. Number one, uh, we opened our mind. We decided uh, that we could do a lot of things with GenAI, but we didn't want to listen and interrogate the data scientists or the data specialists. So in, very practically, we booked one hour with 20 execs in the company, made a five-minute demo of ChatGPT, and then we listened to them, imagining what major pain points they could address with this kind of technology, which activities they could totally automate with generative AI. So we started from the business view, definitely not from the tech or data view. Then came, with all these ideas, the time to prioritize. And we rapidly triaged the use cases in a way uh, to have on the one end the use cases that was worth building and the one that we would put on, on the back burner. And to do that, we heavily put, uh, took into account the business impact potential, but also the availability of data, because of course, not all the data that people were dreaming of were available. And also we triage in a way the use cases that we should do ourselves and the one that we could wait for because it would come to us anyway. So for example, all the use cases around GenAI that were connected to automating email creation, slide creation. We knew that companies like Microsoft, Google were going to deliver that as part, as part of their production suite. So we, we got rid of this. And then we decided to go be fast and first. That's kind of a short step. Let's be fast. Very impressive. So I can see and I can feel that you've been much more agile since a couple of months. So looking at the organization you've described when you joined, have there be any impact on, on your current data AI organization? With the rise of data and AI in the business, frankly, you cannot have data analytics, data platform, data technologist and business in separate silos anymore. Hence, uh, at Carrefour, we are progressively transitioning to a much more integrated model, uh, a much more kind of full stack delivery model in a way. And for us, it has three impacts. Number one is data technology, data analytics are more and more intertwined. The data scientists do more and more data engineering work. The data analysts, they are starting to leverage low code, no code tools to develop machine learning models, the data engineers are now much more embedded into the product team that are actually delivering and not you know, hidden behind the data platform. So it's a clear call for action for me to a more integrated model. That's why in this context, this year, we decided to extract our data technology and data platform teams out of IT and integrate, in integrate all the talents under the data analytics team all together. The second aspect is we are deploying at enterprise level a much more 
product-centric delivery model for all of our data and text projects. In a nutshell, what it is is that we apply kind of the, the basic of the agility and we put data, tech, business, and design into a single product team and we totally eliminate the frontiers between the teams. And th third aspect is that the business on its side is also much more demanding and wants more and more data, more and more analytics. So our strategy to cope with this demand is not to multiply my team by three uh, within the next year, uh, which is actually what I would need to cope with the demand. Why? Because that would be expensive, really, frankly, difficult to do, and also risky. So we've decided to invest heavily in making data available to them, equip equipping them with the modern tools, and train them accordingly. The idea is that we want to make these business people autonomous with self-service data, self-service BI. And the concept behind that that we are pushing hard is to make all our category managers, management controllers, store managers, capable of building an analysis on their own with certified high-quality data. So if you push that like in, in a way to, uh, with a metaphor and analogy, we are going to, to move to a self-service model. And in the past, like up to today, it was very much like a, a restaurant model where, you know, every single day you have a question around data, around analytics, you want a, a dashboard to be built and you go to the restaurant, you go to your management controller, you go to your analytics team and you had them do the extraction, the data analysis. You basically place an order, you wait for the meal to come to the table. Zero effort from the business. And often what we found out is that the interpretations of the data team is often inaccurate it leads to a lot of redo and mistakes because we fail to understand each other. In the new mode we are setting up, we are now building what we call a data supermarket. It's very simple. It's like a supermarket in real life. It's a single portal where all the data are located. You can find them very easily. You don't need to have any technical skills. Unlike, you know, when you go to a data warehouse and you need to, uh, to uh, log in and have uh, tech skills to extract the data. We don't stop there, of course. We we, beyond you know, placing the data in an accessible spot, we are deploying more modern big data analytics tools that enable our teams to go way beyond Excel and analyze huge volumes of data. And so that's kind of the kitchen that you attach to the supermarket. And then you know, to use this kitchen, what we do is that we train these people in the business to become chefs so they can cook their own meal. So in a way, there are these three things that go that goes together, self-service data, supermarket of data, the kitchen, uh, the tool, the tooling to make uh, uh, good recipes. And finally, the chef skills that you need to, to build in the business so that they can fully use the power of these tools and the, and the data available. As a French, I like this metaphor of becoming like more and more an autonomous uh, chef at home. Exactly. <laughs> But uh, what's, what's now the impact on the, on the talent landscape? I mean, we know all that there is this uh, war of talents out, out there. So what sort of impact generative AI has had on your talent and recruitment? On that front, I see Gen AI, frankly, as a fantastic advancement for all enterprise employees. In a way, it, it brings AI in the hands of the people. That's the transition because, you know, historically, we've, we brought AI mostly in the end of data scientists. Now we're putting really that into the end of the, of the business teams. So, but to deliver the Gen AI-based products in an organization, you need a, a new mix of skills and it creates new roles. 
there is a good news for me behind that uh, uh, and for, I think, all senior executives in enterprises. Let me explain a bit that. As we rebalance the analytics investment to integrate generative AI products in our portfolio, we will need proportionally a bit less data scientists in our teams. And this is good news because we all know how hard and expensive these data scientists are on the market given the demand for data scientists. Today, vastly uh, outpasses the supply. Data scientist has been a bit the king of the jungle for the past few years. Uh, and my belief is that this will help rebalance a bit the power uh, and the hype cycle around the data scientist role might slow down a bit. I'm not, I'm not saying we won't need data scientists anymore, but it will help a bit rebalance uh, the struggle and the power, the, the power uh, between the data scientists and the enterprises. And if you think even longer term, we will all learn, you and I and all the business leaders, these prompting skills ourselves. We will may maybe certainly have assistance that will get created to help business people write the right prompts. And hopefully, this skill will penetrate the business and manage the business. For example, management controllers, business analysts, business managers will be able to prompt on their own large language models efficiently and more and more often. So we'll see how, how it plays in the future. In the very short term, uh, there are these new skills that uh, are really changing a bit the mix. And I think that's really um, good for us. And it's creating also new, it's creating new opportunities uh, with Genai. Amazing. So there is a lot happening already, I mean, clearly on, on your front. So if you, if you look back, I mean, after these few months of experience, how are you assessing the, the performance of all these Gen AI initiatives and, and perhaps who is involved in all these discussions and, and how do you decide what's next? Yes, very good question. Frankly, uh, impact is the number one measure for us to justify the investment. So we track that very thoroughly. Ultimately, it's the business who defines what are the business objectives, what are the efficiencies we want to gain, and what are the uplift in uh, customer experience or in, in customer satisfaction that uh, will be used to measure the impact. What we are doing, for example, with one of our uh, initiatives we, that we depend on our website, which is a chatbot to enable clients to shop on our store using generative AI, we measure the uplift in the size of the basket, the speed to get the basket completed, because in, in e-commerce, there is a very strong correlation between the time you spend on the website to shop and actually the, the purchase. Uh, because in grocery shopping, you know, usually the basket can be huge and you are interrupted all the time. You get kids coming in and out, you get a phone call and you stop your purchase process. So it's very easy to, to, to see you know, with A-B testing how customers are, are behaving, for example, in, the, in this case of the chatbot. And uh, we are tracking very thoroughly how the experience and how the business impact is um, changing with generative AI technologies embedded into our website, for example. And so if we look now at the impact on, on your leadership within, within Carrefour, with all what's happening uh, in this AI space, what sort of leadership skills or capabilities would you say are now most difficult to find or, or develop? And how are you making sure you have the leaders you will need going forward with AI and other emerging technologies? A uh, very good question, actually. This is something that is really top of my mind almost every day. In a way, to develop data and AI leaders, it's not only about technology. It's not about only about mathematical skills. Uh, these are kind of the foundational skills that you need. But uh, as we recruit data product managers or data scientists, we look also for 
more and more for business acumen, communication skills, leadership skills that are essential to engage in a partnership model with a business, even more importantly, in the product team's model that I mentioned earlier. You cannot have this tech or data person, you know, hidden behind the curtain anymore. So to recruit these top talents, uh, let me give you one example that uh, we started last year and really got the impact this year. We created a graduate data analytics programs for top talents, which are within a couple of years post-graduation. And we totally revamped the recruiting process to integrate the evaluation of these softer skills on top of the hard data and tech skills. We also created a unique value proposition where these young graduates can accelerate their career and learning by rotating across three different data jobs in two years, uh, taking different roles across, this, across eight countries, so they have one of their rotation outside of their core country, to expose them to different environments, to have them you know, try out maybe a job in the data environment that they wouldn't have applied to, but uh, they you know, might discover something really that might fit their skills, but also so that they can sit on the other side of the fence in a, in a role that maybe you want to become a, a data engineer, but you, if you have for six, eight months a data scientist, you will really understand what's the job of the data scientist and you will be a much better data engineer. That's uh, the bet that we made so that you build up your skills, you get into a mode where you learn fast and you harness your leadership and skills to step up in, in your roles every seven, eight months at Carrefour. Amazing. I'm sure some others will like the idea and maybe replicate it. I mean, it's a good way to attract top talents. So we are getting close to the end of this podcast and uh, you've shared a lot already. So maybe in, in, in closing, what advice would you have for other data leaders in working with executives across the organization to implement AI? In other words, what would be the key success factors you need, I mean, to be successful with AI? Uh, clearly, for me, I have, if I had one big advice, uh, it's to make sure that you have the C-suite on board because this type of transformation starts from the top. Uh, and I've been very lucky to have this, uh, this uh, CEO support to launch a very critical initiative for us at Carrefour. Uh, last year, we trained our top 200 executives globally to data for two days. We put them in a room for two days, built the curriculum together with HEC in France, a prominent business school. And, and this has been a game changer. It has, for me, I have seen these execs turn into sometimes data evangelists in the organization and truly creating now a world where they help us and they help me push innovation with data to their teams. On top of that, to cement a bit the learnings we and expose them to real life because it's great to be in a classroom for two days. But when, when uh, the hardware, I think, hits the road, it's even more important. We organize learning expeditions in the US and Israel for our execs to meet the startup ecosystem, see the technology in action, mingle with other retail executives in other organizations, really discuss with VCs and, and these people in, in the space thought-provoking ideas that could really shake the, the world of retail. And all of this in investment a year later now is paying off a lot. And it has made my job so much easier as a chief data officer. And, and so to summarize, how would you 
define your chief data officer role today? In if, if I summarize my role, it's very simple in a way. I have two roles. The, the number one is, uh, is to make myself useful by helping the, the teams prioritize the most advanced use cases that could generate value, deploy the data and tech skill at the right place, deliver these use cases with the teams, and in the end, measure the value. That's kind of my useful role. And the second role is to really make myself useless by, as I mentioned earlier, making the data accessible in self-service, equipping the business teams with modern tools uh, beyond the traditional and very limited kind of Excel, and of course, training them to become chefs. In a way, the successful transformation is that even, you know, this role of chief data officer role might disappear in the future because, you know, everybody will be uh, data proficient. The data will not be a separate team. It's, it will be something that will be totally embedded into the business. I think your role is still very, 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 very much useful at this stage. So thank you. It's absolutely a fascinating moment. And I know Carrefour will be fast accelerating their data-driven journey. We'll be following you. Sébastien, once again, thank you very much for taking the time and sharing all this wonderful insight with us today. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter or YouTube, why not share this with your connections? Until next time.